What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Flat Passing Downs Podcast. I'm your host, Rahul, and I'm here with my co-host, PD. PD, so what's up? What's up? And today we're back with another one of our series of the three ups, three downs, talking about the last weeks of quarterbacks play, uh, going into three quarterbacks who we thought played well and three quarterbacks who we thought didn't play so well. And it's getting to a little bit of a weirder part of the season because we have a lot of teams obviously going for the playoffs, teams going in opposite directions, and it's getting weird right now because of all the QB injuries, some of which we'll talk about in this episode as well. Uh, but things are getting a little bit murky with the uh, number of people we are able to talk about. But I, on the bright side, it gives us opportunity to talk about a lot of quarterbacks that we haven't talked about much, a lot of new faces in today's pod, as well as some of the classics as we've talked about all season. Uh, but with all that being said, we'll get right into it. Just quickly before that, shouting out our Twitter, follow PD at PD34 underscore, uh, me at Real Rahul Potty 2 Also, if you guys are enjoying the pod, please like, follow, subscribe, do what you can on the platform you're listening on to help support. We'd love it. We'd appreciate it a lot. And with that being said, we'll get right into another weekly recap. I'll let you get started with your quarterback, PD. So my first guy is someone that you wouldn't expect based on the final score, um, but it's Jalen Hurts. And I thought the reason that his performance went uh, underrated and unnoticed um, is because of a a few critical drops, which I'll mention, Um, but more so because Devontae Smith and A.J. Brown had critical fumbles on drives that had potential to score. Um, And that's the reason that the Eagles only ended up with 13 points, whereas if those two fumbles didn't happen, they could have had something like 27 with the defensive touchdown and all that. Um, Of course, Jalen Hurts had his own fumble, which was a big contributor. But I still think that Jalen Hurts played good enough football to um, give his offense a chance, and they just weren't up to task to help him out in that regard. So the first drive, um, Hurts starts to lead the Eagles down the field, has a run for 11 yards, and hits Goddard for a short pass before not being able to hook up with Devontae Smith and then hooking up with Devontae Smith later on a third and 16 for a 30-yard gain. Great throw there. Um, Then then Hertz has his first and only negative play of the day um, where he takes the ball for an 11-yard gain on a first and super long, first and 20, but ends up fumbling. And that gives the Cowboys the ball, and um, it's one of the the Eagles' critical turnovers. Um, The next drive... Um, this one results in a field goal. Jalen Hurts, again, leads the Eagles down the field. Um, but on a critical third and five, um, he tries to hook up with A.J. Brown on this type of back shoulder thing down the right sideline, but A.J. Brown can't collect the ball. Great throw by Hurts there. Doesn't end up being completed, and that's what turns what is um, what could have been a touchdown drive into a field goal drive. Uh, the next drive, again, this one is a field goal drive. Um, Hertz leads the Eagles down the down the field with completions to AJ Brown for 14 and 24 yards, uh, both good passes and good catches by AJ Brown. Um, does take a sack closer to the end of this drive, which I thought he could have avoided, um, but a good drive nonetheless for Jalen Hurts. Um, the next drive, they can't really get anything going because they're up against the clock, 20 seconds left, um, and they can't really um, get any points out of it. That's the end of the half. 
the next drive is the first fumble by a receiver. Um, Hertz begins to lead the Eagles down the field um, with a completion to A.J. Brown into Dallas territory, but Brown fumbles the ball away, and that's the end of the drive. Um, the next drive, they can't really get anything going after Hertz. Uh, tries to hook up with Devontae Smith a couple of times, but Devontae drops one, and they can't uh, end up getting anything on that drive. Um, the next drive for the Eagles, uh, this one ends up in a turnover on downs. Hertz again tries to lead the Eagles down. He hits A.J. Brown for a 17-yard gain, um, and then Dallas Goddard on a short pass for a 15-yard gain. Uh, but he can't hook up with Devontae Smith on a second and 11 and only gets a check down for A.J. Brown for a three-yard pass. Um, on fourth and eight, um, the Cowboys bring a heavy blitz. Um, Hertz tries to get it off. The pass is a little bit behind Devontae Smith, um, and that that the difficulty of that pass is with multiple defenders in your face, you have to hit Devontae Smith uh, in stride when he's running that drag route. A little bit of a tricky pass to make, but I can't give Jalen Hurts much credit for um, just getting a completion that doesn't result in, in good yardage on that pass. Um, the next drive, um, the Eagles are now down three scores, and Jalen Hurts again tries to start leading the Eagles down the field with intermediate chunk plays to Devontae Smith and A.J. Brown, um, and then a couple of short passes to Brown again. Uh, but after he completes one to Devontae Smith, who looks to be getting an explosive play, um, getting into the red zone for the Eagles, uh, Devontae Smith just fumbles, fumbles it away again. Um, and that's basically in the end of the game. So Jalen Hurts this game made a number of very good throws. I thought um, kind of didn't put the ball in harm's way other than that one fumble um, on that run play, which was pretty costly. Um, but again, only taking one sack, um, a number of throws in this game that were very impressive. Um, and a couple of those imp very impressive throws ended up being dropped, which hurts his box score numbers um, and kind of underrates his performance in general. Um, and I thought he was one of the quarterbacks who played a very good game this week. Uh, I like that you brought this matchup up because I do agree that compared to the general consensus, which the NFL world is going to jump on the outcome of this game with it obviously being a huge matchup between two NFC giants right now, probably two of the better teams uh, contending to win the NFC along with the next team I'm going to talk about. Uh, so I do agree that I think with all of that commotion, Jalen Hurts' performance kind of goes under the radar. However, and we did just talk about this a little bit before, I do I do disagree that I'd, I wouldn't put this necessarily in the good. I do think he was solid, but I, I wouldn't particularly highlight this is a good performance. And maybe it makes this in here in a weaker week for good quarterbacks. Uh, I do agree with a lot of the points you made. I think it's a completely uh, different conversation if we don't have fumbles from Devonta Smith, from A.J. Brown. He made plenty of good plays, uh, throws this week, and I do think he was much, much better uh, at avoiding sacks this week and not holding the ball too long, which he struggled with a lot in that Niners game, which we didn't get to talk about, unfortunately. Uh, but I think that fumble was very, very huge. I think that kind of set the tone for the rest of the game. Obviously, you can't completely take that into account, but I do think that the game started kind of slipping away from there, from that fumble itself. And I, I didn't love the uh, Jalen Hurts made that play. Uh, I also think that there are a lot more opportunities for him to kind of tuck the ball and run. Uh, and he didn't necessarily use his legs as much as I would have liked to in this game. I think tougher defenses like the Cowboys, who do like to bring a lot of pressure, 
or maybe in some situations, since their uh, defensive line is so good, they're able to kind of sit back in coverage and let things happen. I would have liked Jalen Hurts to maybe even play make a little bit or kind of get out of the pocket run, make something happen, because obviously uh, this offense was struggling a little bit overall. Their run game wasn't really working for one of the first times this season. Uh, I do wish he did more there, and I wish he spread the ball out a little bit more. I understand A.J. Brown and Devonta Smith are obviously huge, huge players and are massive playmakers, but I do think they didn't do a great job of involving other players, and I think a lot of that came on Jalen Hurts. I don't think the play calling from what I saw in the film was get it to AJB and Devonta Smith every single time. And obviously their mistakes are their own, but in general, if they spread the ball out a little bit more, I think this is a completely different offense or, uh, and jail, but either ways, Jalen Hurts did play relatively well. Uh, moving on to that other team I was talking about though, in the NFC coming in with another statement win, and that is the San Francisco 49ers. And here Brock Purdy had what we were talking about before the pod, maybe one of the cleanest games of the week. Like I mentioned just a second ago, there weren't a lot of clean games this week, but Brock Purdy definitely had one of them. And oddly enough, it didn't start like that whatsoever. Uh, Brock Purdy does start off a little bit slow. The Niners offense don't with a very quick, 72-yard run on the first play of the game for Christian McCaffrey. Uh, That leads to a quick uh, rushing touchdown. Purdy doesn't do much there. But the next couple of drives, honestly, the uh, offense stalls a little bit because Purdy was a little bit inaccurate. He missed a couple of throws, one big miss to Kittle on that first drive, as well as another big miss to Debo uh, on that second drive that ends up stopping that. And uh, the following drive, we do see him throw an interception. And me and uh, PD talked about this play as well. This was, I'd say, probably one of his few negative plays of uh, the game. I wasn't a huge fan of this pick because I do think there's a little bit of a miscommunication there. But I do think Purdy could have done a better job of putting it in a higher spot for Ayuk to maybe slide and get it even with that miscommunication happen. Plus, Ayuk was just so open that I feel like at that point, he needs to make a little bit of a better adjustment and get it to the right spot. So I do blame him there. But from then moving forward, Purdy was pretty much lights out the rest of the way. And we see him completely make up for what could be an early mistake. Uh, The very next drive, we see probably my favorite pass of the day and one of the better ones of the season. Uh, Deep shot to Debo Samuel. He goes across the field and is going down the left sideline, and Purdy just layers it right to him on the money, gets it to him right in the breadbasket, allows him to run upfield and score a touchdown. Uh, And in a point where the Niners offense was stalling a little bit, Purdy just able to generate an explosive out of nowhere. And that's something that a lot of people in the narrative right now is saying that Purdy can't do. But he showed in this game that he's able to just completely spark this offense and get something going with that Debo pass. Uh, we see more passes like this in the second half, huge passes from him. Uh, the, uh, uh, there's a pass to Brandon Ayuk for roughly 45 yards going down the left side of the field. Another great pass from Purdy. Uh, I also love the touchdown pass to Kittle. Uh, pass was a little bit wide open, schemed up by Kyle Shanahan. However, he makes the right play, allows him to get yak yards and just feast. 
Uh, another thing I would have liked him to do a little bit better is avoid sacks in this game. I don't think Seattle's pass rush was particularly uh, impressive. I think the Niners' offensive line did win a lot of their reps in this one, and Purdy tend to hold on to the ball a little bit, but he was very accurate once again, um, had multiple explosives in this one, and, yeah, it was very, very clean. If it wasn't for that one interception, which I think, admittedly, I am nitpicking. Same thing with the sacks. I'm nitpicking a little bit. Outside of that, though, he was very, very clean this game. Yeah. Um, in real time, I thought could have been done a better job with the sacks. The first one, um, probably his fault, but um, there's no loss of yardage on the play. Um, second one was like a total, total whiff by uh, the pass blocking. The third one is the one that I was like, okay, that one actually had a negative impact on the Niners. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, for like the rest of the game, this this was this was lights out. Um, he was unbelievable in this game. Um, and actually, I'll, I'll save the talking point for um, for the end, um, so that we can have a full conversation about it. But uh, there's been a lot a lot of Brock Purdy talk, Brock Purdy talk, um, and archetype talk um, that I would like to get to. Um, Anyway, let's move on from Brock Purdy to the next quarterback on my list and another quarterback who ended up losing the game. But um, I thought he played a fantastic game, um, one of the better performances of the week, and that's Patrick Mahomes. And the Chiefs lost 20-17. to And once again, um, the receivers for the Chiefs did not show up in a very critical moment where they could have. First drive for Patrick Mahomes. Uh, this one ends in an interception. Mahomes is leading the Chiefs down the field with short passes. Um, but ends up getting intercepted on a screen pass. Not really his fault, um, just a blown blocking assignment and such. Um, The next drive, the Chiefs punt. Um, Patrick Mahomes doesn't really get a chance to push the ball down the field. Uh, Throws a short one to Clyde Edwards-Hilaire before getting sacked. I didn't think the sack was on him. Uh, The next drive, another uh, punt for the Chiefs. Um, Mahomes can't get it to Rice after he drops it. Um, and then Jarek McKinnon takes a short pass on a third and 12 um, for a few yards before they have to punt. Uh, the next drive, another punt, but this time they get a few first downs. Um, Mahomes hits Kelsey for signature 23-yard gain um, and then hits Justin Watson for an 18-yard gain, both very good passes. Uh, but the drive stalls out after a couple of incompletions to Kadarius Tony and Mar- one to Marquez Valdez-Scantling where it looks like Mahomes and MVS are not on the same page again. Uh, the next drive... First touchdown drive for the Chiefs, Mahomes continually just chunks his way down the field um, with passes to Rice and then Tony, um, and then hits Kelsey, and then Rice again for a bigger gain of 17 yards, um, and then hits Kadarius, Tony, and then Richie James for a couple of plays, a couple of short plays um, before Derek McKinnon's able to punch it in for a touchdown. Um, after, this, after the halftime, uh, Mahomes again leads a touchdown drive where he hits uh, Marquez Valdez-Scantling and then Travis Kelsey for... Um, 26 yards total there. Um, and then he hits Travis Kelsey again for a 22-yard gain um, and then finds Rasheed Rice for um, a six-yard gain and then a four-yard touchdown. Uh, very solid drive there from Patrick Mahomes. Um, and then uh, on the next drive, this is another turnover for the Chiefs. Uh, Mahomes hits Jake McKinnon for a short eight-yard gain before not being able to hook up with Sky Moore and then hits Rasheed Rice for a six-yard gain. Looks like he's about to lead uh, the Chiefs into Bills territory, but fumbles, um, and the Bills get the ball. Um, the next drive, field goal drive, Mahomes 
pushes it down the field for Rishi Rice uh, before um, getting sacked um, on a play that, or it, it looked like he got sacked in the moment, but um, ends up being a throwaway. Um, very, very close to a turnover-worthy play, but um, he did end up getting it off in time. Um, and then the and the Chiefs end up kicking a field goal on that drive. Um, the next drive, uh, Chiefs can't get anything going again after Mahomes and Marcos Valdez-Scantling have another miscommunication on a deep pass. Um, and then on the final drive, um, Mahomes throws an incredible pass um, to Travis Kelsey um, on a fourth and 15, or uh, on a third and 15 but ends up not being caught. Um, fourth and 15 can't really get it, get anything to happen. Before this play, um, the ultimate controversial play, um, where Mahomes hits Travis Kelsey in the middle of the field, who laterals it to Kadarius Tony for a big touchdown, but um, ends up being offensive offsides and then gets called back. Um, and yeah, Mahomes was very impressive in this game. Didn't have any turnover-worthy plays, made a number of chunk plays on his own. Um, despite his receivers letting him down, the Chiefs, weren't absolutely horrible on offense. They were pretty mediocre, but um, mediocrity on offense with the way that defenses are playing Travis Kelsey right now, um, consistently doubling and even tripling him and just forcing the receivers to win one-on-one outside. The only guy I really trust is Rasheed Rice. And uh, Marcos Valdez-Scantling's regression this year from last year has been kind of shocking to see. His ability to consistently generate deep passes at least once a game has been kind of gone entirely this year. I don't even know what's going on. He just seems to constantly be having mental errors. Either him or Mahomes is constantly having mental errors. Um, and I don't think it's Patrick Mahomes. I'll, I'll just say that. So, um, yeah, Chiefs offense kind of hard to watch right now. Um, but Patrick Mahomes not really at, at a cause for that. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And I think it's good that you're highlighting this because I do think much like with what we just talked about with Jalen Hurts, I think Mahomes is kind of getting used as the scapegoat here because obviously this Chiefs kind of stretch we've seen over the last couple of weeks, once they have faced a couple of better teams, some not even better teams, but games in which they struggled, You're seeing this Chiefs team show a lot more cracks in the offense in general. It's looking a lot worse, and a lot of people are kind of just jumping to the conclusion that it's a Mahomes regression. And to some extent, there is some a lot of things Mahomes could do differently as well. But I do agree in this game, it was very much on the supporting cast. Uh, I think because of the name value of a lot of the guys on the supporting cast, and even then there isn't a lot of name value here, maybe primarily Travis Kelsey. But I do think people are kind of ignoring how bad this receiving core has gotten, or at least to the extent how bad it is, because you see the big mistakes, like obviously the one with Kadarius Tony, which for one, I don't particularly understand why that was so controversial. I think he was very clearly offsides. Uh, and I'll get into what I think about Mahomes there in a second. But yeah, it's definitely underrated how bad this has gotten. I do agree that this game was not Mahomes' fault. Uh, I think guys like MVS absolutely need to improve. The dropping problem with him has gotten ridiculous, as well as, like you said, the mental errors. I think Rasheed Rice is a good prospect, but Right now, he definitely can't be the number one. I don't think he gets open nearly enough. I like the way uh, you talked about how teams have kind of changed how they defend Travis Kelsey. And he has looked 
not necessarily as good. I think Chiefs struggle a lot more to get him in space now. We're not seeing those classic Travis Kelsey plays where he's able to kind of just find a spot in the middle of the field and Mahomes is able to hit him and he's just able to run around and make things work. Uh, and there's really no other playmaker on this team. Kadarius Tony is massively disappointed. Uh, Justin Watson just isn't there yet. Guys like Sky Moore also massively disappoint, disappointed. Uh, this is a big problem that the Chiefs need to address, and I think the offense is going to continue to look this bad until changes are made. Uh, but with that being said, we talked about that call. I was very confused by Mahomes' reactions and kind of actions in that situation. I do think it kind of made him look like a sore loser. And I think with Mahomes especially, he's the guy who I think fans would most accuse of being on the benefiting end of a lot of these refereeing mistakes. And whether you want to see say it's because of the NFL or because they like Mahomes, blah, blah, blah. At the end of the day, like, Calls like this have gone in his favor, and I do agree that the last couple of weeks we have seen calls be a little bit less in his favor. I think the Packers game had a questionable one. Obviously, the Bills one, not as questionable to me, but you could argue there were some problems there. Overall, though, didn't like the way he reacted. He did address it, obviously, say it was, wasn't was exactly in his character. But yeah, very, very weird ending there. Uh, But moving on from one quarterback who was unexpectedly there for one reason to another quarterback unexpectedly here for a completely different reason. And that's the Jets quarterback, Zach Wilson, a guy who we had ruled out completely from being here, someone who we had decided that we weren't going to chart completely, has come out and this late in the season has had a very good game. And I was incredibly impressed by not only, obviously, the improvement in play, coming back from being benched for the likes of who he was benched for, which is ridiculous, and putting up this performance against a very good Texans team. And I know the Jets are pretty much out of it at this point, but technically they're still fighting for the playoffs too. So huge game for them as well. And Zach Wilson stepped up. And I think the biggest thing I like about the way Zach Wilson is playing now and how he has tweaked his game is that he's at in a completely different play style than the Zach Wilson we saw earlier in his career, the one we saw struggle a lot. And I think this kind of change in his play has maybe given him a career and given him a blueprint on how to play moving forward. Uh, Rather than relying overly on his arm talent, his athleticism, which he does have a very high level of, we'd often see Zach Wilson do too much, run around, try uh, out of the pocket before he needs to, run into sacks, mess up the timing of plays because he's trying to play make unnecessarily and most importantly force bad decisions because he's trying to make explosives happen make big plays happen and just make horrible decisions and I think now he's kind of settled into a little bit more of a pocket quarterback role he's getting rid of the ball very fast you see a lot of quick dump offs to guys like Tyler Conklin Brees Hall Uh, and he's finally kind of gotten chemistry with Garrett Wilson. Obviously, for a lot of the season, we haven't seen much of Garrett Wilson play uh, well because of the quarterback struggles, and finally, he's been able to utilize that very, uh, the Garrett Wilson's ability to get open consistently in the intermediate range of the field, and all those in-breaking routes, quick out-breaking routes that get you like 7 to 15 yards 
Wilson's been able to hit him. And in that first half, it didn't all come together. But that second half, we saw Zach Wilson put drive after drive together, just hitting guys quick, short, like that first drive coming out of the half. Two great passes to Garrett Wilson on that play in the intermediate range. He's able to scramble around, play make a couple of those plays. We get a deep pass to Garrett Wilson where he's still uh, showcasing that big arm. And then I think the best play of that drive was that touchdown pass on the right side of the field to Randall Cobb. Uh, I, I think that drive kind of summed up how his game went as a whole. Uh, he he kind of has changed up the way he's playing. We see a lot more mistakes from him. I do still think he struggles with being in the pocket and not taking sacks. I do think a couple of those sacks were his fault where he just simply either ran into a sack or held the ball way too long. I also didn't really like his fumble. I think that fumble was very costly. And in another game, I think where Zach Wilson plays a lot more like himself, to be quite honest, that fumble is a lot worse for him and he's not able to make up for it. But this game, he was just so impressive, so accurate the rest of the way that he made up for it. So very good game from Zach Wilson. Yeah, I was I was kind of blown away by the way Zach Wilson was playing. The crossbody throw to Garrett Wilson. Um, just yeah, just just crazy plays. Um, he, the thing that stood out to me about uh, how Zach Wilson has played in the games that he's been very good in, like the Chiefs game and this recent game, um, is that his footwork is a lot more disciplined. He's playing with um, his feet um, more pointed towards his target first of all, but also a lot more tied to his progression, um, and that that's resulted in much much better results in structure. And the thing is, uh, out of structure now, um, he kind of feels like he's understanding the speed of the game a little bit better. That's something that doesn't happen too quickly usually. It takes time to um, get used to that. But now after, what is it, now his third year, uh, in his third year, it seems like the game is finally slowing down a little bit for him. Um, yep. Hopefully that's something that continues because obviously we've seen games like the Bills game where he was atrocious and it, it looks like it was way too fast for him. But um, I think that there's still potential here for a guy who could be a starter at some point in the league. Um, definitely showing that he's a capable backup right now, uh, in my opinion. Um, the Jets offensive line is still tragically bad and the non-Garrett Wilson's receivers are awful, but... Uh, the fact that he's still able to put up a, a good performance here is is very impressive, in my opinion. All right, let's move on from one Wilson to another, and that's Russell Wilson. Man, Russell Wilson looked back in this game. He was fantastic against the Chargers. Um, of course, comes with caveat that it's the Chargers' defense, but, um, man, he was he was really impressive. Um, game didn't start off so hot for Broncos' offense, though. Um at their own nine, Russell Wilson throws an interception, but this one's not his fault as Marvin Mims just makes an absolute mess of the play. Um, ends up being an interception after he's ruled not down by contact um, after the ball is just taken away from him. So not really Russell Wilson's fault at all. Uh, the next drive, they're able to get a couple of short passes going, but can't end up hooking up on a critical third down with Jaleel McLaughlin, Jaleel McLaughlin and end up punting. Um, the next drive for where Russell Wilson throws a pass, uh, again a punt, um, hits Marvin Mims for a short pass for eight yards, uh, then takes a sack that's kind of on him on third down, um, and they end up punting. Uh, the next drive, another punt. So the Broncos offense stalls again. Um, 
can't hit Jerry Judy, but Jerry Judy makes an absolute mess of this one. Um, definitely should have ended up being catch, should have put the charges in the red zone, but just can't make a play on the ball. Um, this is after Russ hits Javante Williams for a short uh, short pass that turns into a 14-yard gain. But then on third and six for Russell Wilson, um, he takes an eight-yard sack, which ends the drive. Uh, the next drive, again, stalls out with a punt uh, after uh, a, a Cortland Sutton offensive pass interference on a pick call. Actually, first, let me start off with um, another Jerry Judy pass where they're going deep down the field. Um, Judy, again, can't make a play on the ball. Um, on a play that would have resulted in a big play. Um, the next play, uh, Broncos are backed up into a second and 20 after an offensive pass interference. Russ can't hook up with uh, Javante Williams, but then hits Samaj Pirine for a seven-yard seven gain uh, on a third and 20, end up punting on that drive again. Uh, the next drive is the first drive where the Broncos offense really starts to get going. Um, Russell Wilson just short passes all the way down the field to Samaj Pirine. Tries to hit Jerry Judy again, but Jerry Judy can't make the play. Three passes in the first half on deep attempts where Russell Wilson could have had a completion, but Jerry Judy couldn't make the play. Um, next play, he has Kroll for a 35-yard gain. Um, and then Jerry Judy again on another pass. Uh, this one should have been a touchdown, but along the sideline, along the left sideline, um, Jerry Judy, who had ample time to drag both of his feet, um, doesn't end up getting two feet down and ends up being an incompletion. So... That's a touchdown taken off the board for Russ. Um, he can't hook up with Troutman on third and five. Um, in the second half, the Broncos' offense begins to stall a little bit. Um, Russ can't uh, make the play on fourth and one to uh, get the QB sneak, so they end up punting. Um, the next drive was a touchdown drive, and this came with one of the more impress impressive passes and catches of the year. Um, Russ, from the 46-yard line, throws a deep pass to Cortland Sutton, um, who is absolutely crazily uh, interfered with in the end zone, uh, but it doesn't matter. Just sticks out one hand and makes the catch. Incredible uh, arm strength from Wilson to get the ball there and great placement. Uh, would have looked even better as a pass if Corlin Sutton's hand wasn't held, but um, incredible throw nonetheless. The next drive, Broncos can't really get anything going. Um, Russ hits Jaleel McLaughlin for a seven-yard gain. And then after another... Um, Another play where they lose yardage um, with the Javante Williams negative five yard run. Um, Wilson has a throwaway and then a short pass to Lil Jordan Humphrey for a 12 yard gain. Um, the next drive, another punt. Uh, Broncos can't really get anything going. Russ tries to hook up with Corlin Sutton, but can't get it uh, to be complete. Um, and then for their final offensive drive of the game, um, Wilson hits Adam Troutman for a nine yard gain. Um, and then a short pass to Burton for a one-yard gain, and then a scramble on third and six, a critical scramble um, for seven yards to pick up the first down. Um, he then hits Samaji Pirine for a nine-yard gain, and then Adam Troutman for a 10-yard touchdown. So um, very, very clean game from Russ. No turnover-worthy plays, and some of his very most impressive passes fell incomplete. Um, that fantastic 46-yard touchdown to Cortland Sutton. Um, Jerry Judy just made a mess of the passes that he was thrown, but um, I still think Russ played a fantastic game in this one. Yeah, I, I did chuckle a little bit earlier when you talk, we're talking about Russ's back, and not particularly because Russell Wilson played bad, because Russell Wilson was very good in this one. I think this game, like many we've talked about throughout not only this season but last, I have to take a little bit with a grain of salt because 
we did just see what the Raiders team did to this Chargers team without Justin Herbert and Easton Stick at quarterback. Uh, this Chargers team and defense especially is ridiculously bad. And the Broncos definitely showed that. However, Russell Wilson has kind of completely changed his game this season and has reformed into a new type of quarterback and he's starting to finally master this role and it's really cool to see he's a lot more conservative now than we saw in his prime obviously he's not able to run around outside the pocket and make those ridiculous plays that we saw Russell Wilson make consistently for like a decade straight but Russell Wilson still has the mind to be able to make the right decisions break down defenses and you see this offense and it's consistently it consists of primarily checkdown screens a lot of simple run plays and you consistently think like how is this working so much how are game in game out the how are they having successful offense and i do think it has to do with russell wilson just being able to make the right decisions it looks like it's a check down every single time but I think what is happening is Russell Wilson scanning the field and is just simply taking what the defenses are giving him right now and that's why we see from time to time like that deep touchdown pass to Cortland Sutton which was a huge play in the game and completely swung things for them iced it for them or like you mentioned with that Jerry Judy pass which really should have been a touchdown great pass downfield and yeah that should have been simply caught his stat line looks completely differently if it is isn't for that and you are seeing Russell Wilson maybe struggle a little bit more than turnovers than we saw in his prime but regardless he is still doing a great job of getting it to his receivers he's still spreading the ball out as much as he did back then it doesn't matter who it is he doesn't really have a primary receiver at this point in time he's just simply going with what the defense is giving him, making the right plays, even if it's not necessarily generating explosives at an alarming rate or scoring a lot of points. He's maximizing what he can do at this point in his career, and he's maximizing what this offense can do based off a relative lack of talent to compare to some other of the top offenses in the league. It's a really weird offense to watch, but somehow they've managed to make it work. And <clears throat> this this week was one of those weeks. Uh, moving on to another quarterback who has absolutely surprised me with how good he was in this week. And that is one of the Monday night games with Will Levis coming in and shocking the Dolphins and stealing a win in prime time. And <clears throat> in recent times, we've talked about Will Levis a lot, but it has not been on this side. It has been on the bad side of things. And I was very, very surprised when I – when PD had suggested Levis to me when talking about good quarterbacks to watch this week. And when starting this, and I saw that interception touchdown he threw early in the game where he kind of on a screen just throws it straight to a defensive lineman. I do think it was kind of a tough situation. He was in his own end zone and the the defense had pretty much seen it right away. Uh, I would have liked him to throw the ball away for sure there, but still big mistake there. And I was kind of thinking like, oh, what's going on here this, this isn't looking too good but two of the, the next drives two of the next three drives in this half absolutely showed me why this Will Levis game was insane and it was crazy to see because Will Levis played this game kind of like 
his head was on fire. He was just ultra aggressive and going at it, not only as a passer, but also as a rusher too. In that first touchdown drive they had, there were multiple plays where I was like just surprised by what Little Levis was doing. I know there was one play late in the drive on a third and 10 where it had looked like he was almost swallowed with a sack in the backfield, but he's able to duck out under the sack and he runs past all the D linemen and he runs over Jalen Ramsey on this play. And we see it later in the game again, which I think uh, one of those plays was the one that went viral on Twitter and everyone was talking about how Will Levis trucked Jalen Ramsey, and he ends up uh, drawing a penalty from Bradley Chubb there on sportsmanlike conduct, which extends their drive. And even though this isn't necessarily like a huge passing play, it just kind of goes to show like how kind of on Will Levis is while playing this game. He's uh, on smoke at all times and is playing hot. And we saw that on the final drive of this half too, uh, with him passing because kind of backed up on their own 20 with like 30 seconds left. I kind of expected this Titans team to just let the clock go, let things happen. But Will Levis played ultra aggressive, and we saw him throw a dime down the right side of the field to D-Hop, which seemed to be almost in triple coverage. He had a corner underneath him, a safety over the top of him, and uh, another kind of linebacker safety type in that hook curl region. And Levis just delivers the most beautiful, precise hole shot that I've seen in a while. <clears throat> you kind of see the arm talent come into play there because not very many QBs can fit that ball in that spot. And Levis just lasers that in. And we see the opposite side of his game where he's able to hit guys deep on <clears throat> DeAndre Hopkins' 45-yard pass down the right side of the, of the sideline. And I even thought Xavier Howard might have Pass interfered here a little bit, and we saw a crazy, crazy catch from D-Hop. He even gets a away with a little bit of a push-off too, but like I said, Howard also did some, so I think it kind of just canceled out. But just a beautiful throw again from Levis to get it downfield in the breadbasket for D-Hop, give him a better opportunity than Howard on what should have been a 50-50 ball. And I like that he was aggressive in that situation because – uh, really nothing much could have gone wrong had he thrown a pick with roughly 18 seconds left in that game, and he's able to just generate a big play there. I know I'm typically not the type of guy to like plays like that, but I think in that situation, given what kind of team the Titans are, allowing Levis to progress, I like how aggressive he was there. And I also thought the following pass where he almost throws a touchdown to uh, DeAndre Hopkins in the end zone, if not for a huge play by Xavier Howard on that second down to break it up. I think he had another touchdown pass there. And we kind of see it continue throughout the rest of the game a lot more. Uh, <clears throat> just aggressive Will Levis. Another one of the throws that I liked later in that game from him uh, was the <clears> – <throat> Uh, sorry, the pass to Nick uh, Westbrook Ekine uh, late in the third quarter that set up a short uh, DeAndre Hopkins pass. Just overall, we saw a very aggressive version of Will Levis today. And despite that, he was still uh, very accurate, makes up for that one pick. Uh, <clears throat> we see a fumble later in that game too. So two turnover-worthy plays that I wasn't a huge fan of, but just so many explosives in this one. Played with a lot of toughness. I like this game out of Will Levis for sure and it's very promising uh given his future and his potential 
All right, that'll wrap up the good quarterbacks for this week. Let's get into the bad. Um, jump right back into that Jets game um, where we talked about Zach Wilson and talk about the other side with CJ Stroud. Um, having clearly what I would say is his worst game of the year, um, just an absolute disaster class. The stats would say that he was very bad, and I would say he was even worse. Um, just because there are four turnover-worthy plays in this one that didn't show up in the box score, four dropped picks, ends up throwing zero picks. Um, just a bad performance that continued to get worse throughout the day. Um, started off on the first drive, hits Nico Collins for a 13-yard gain on a good pass, but Nico Collins gets injured on that pass, and we've already talked about, or we already know, that Tank Dell is out for the year with that broken fibula, and Nico Collins also goes out in this game. So that thrusts Noah Brown, Dalton Schultz, Xavier Hutchinson into the spotlight, um, and that just makes it a really, really, really tough day to complete passes. So on that first drive, uh, Stroud hits a couple of short passes and can't end up generating anything on third down, ends up having to throw it away. Uh, the next drive, again, another punt, just short passes, and Stroud takes a sack on third and six for a 14-yard loss that I thought was on him. Uh, the next drive, Texans, again, can't get anything going. Uh, but this time, Stroud puts the ball in harm's way um, for an interceptable pass. Um, yeah, just probably shouldn't have thrown that one. Um, also, uh, Stroud has a backwards pass on this drive as well, where he just is under heavy pressure, ends up throwing the ball backwards, and uh, the Texans lose nine yards. Um, only a couple of short completions on that drive to help um, help his stats. Um, the next drive, again, Stroud can't get anything going, tries to hook up with Noah Brown, but can't get a completion. Um, the next drive, another punt again, but this time um, Robert Woods can't get his feet down along the sideline. This one was a good pass on third and nine. Um, for CJ Stroud. Um, and then the next drive, another punt. Um, it's going to be a common theme here. Um, the Texans uh, end up generating six yards on a pass from Stroud to Brevin Jordan before he takes a sack uh, on first and 10 for a nine yard loss. That one wasn't really on him, um, but he can't hook up with Robert Woods on second and 19 um, before they just run a draw play um, on third and long. Uh, the next drive, um, another punt. Um, Stroud. Can't hook up with Xavier Hutchinson. This one, another interceptable pass before getting sacked on third down for a six-yard loss. Uh, next drive, another punt where Stroud throws another interceptable pass, uh, this time to Mechie, um, but again, can't get anything going. Another three and out. Um, the next drive, finally there is a, a touchdown, um, but that comes with um, a short pass to Andrew Beck for a 26-yard gain. And another short pass to Brevin Jordan for a 23-yard gain. Uh, Stroud can't hit Devin Singletary where uh, a defender gets a hand on it for a batted ball. Um, but then uh, they get uh, roughing the passer um, and defensive pass interference on the same play um, and end up punching in a one-yard touchdown. Um, the next drive, Stroud throws another interceptable pass. Uh, and um, this, this comes after a short completion to Xavier Hutchinson. Um, and then on fourth and two, Stroud can't hook up with Noah Brown deep down the field. Um, the next drive, uh, Stroud gets injured on this drive, um, can't hook up with Devin Singletary um, before hooking up on a short pass to John Mechie. Um, and then this is where Stroud's day ends with the injury. So Stroud, like I mentioned, uh, a ton of turnover-worthy plays in this one. 
number of sacks. A few of them weren't on him, but I still did think a couple were on him. Um, just a really, really rough day, and one that I don't expect going forward with how much he's shown. Um, but it does show that it's very, very difficult for even a really good quarterback like CJ Stroud to succeed when there are basically no receivers and the pass blocking is having a tough day with how good the the Jets defensive line is. So um, this was a test I was looking at for CJ Stroud for weeks, um, but he wasn't given the requisite tools to pass the test. So um, tough to ta- have, in, have any takeaways for this one, but uh, Stroud was awful in this game. Yeah, another disaster class from a quarterback who we have seen play elite in every other game or most of his other games this season against the Jets defense. This Jets defense once again proving that they are very, very elite. And this game against C.J. Stroud proved it once again. And I think it's very interesting to see C.J. Stroud in this kind of setting where obviously Tank Dell is out, Nico Collins goes out. And we've seen throughout this year Bryce Young receive a lot of shit for not performing, for making a lot of mistakes, being in a very terrible offense, to be quite frank. And uh, we can see that it's a very terrible situation. And I'm very interested to see how see the people are going to perceive this C.J. Stroud game, potentially other C.J. Stroud games if Nico Collins happens to stay out longer. Where I would say without Nico Collins and Tank Dell, this Texans team is very, very comparable to that Panthers offense, if not even worse. I think this Without their two best guys, this is a very, very uh, <clears throat> subpar supporting cast. And obviously, Stroud is going to be out this week with the concussion, unfortunately. Uh, but we will see him later this year, and I'm interested to see how he performs. Obviously, first guaranteed, not with no Tank Dell, and maybe even no Nico Collins. He's definitely going to have to adapt. Those two guys have made his job a lot easier but like you said I think CJ Stroud's very capable I think this was an off game for him uh we saw a couple of those throughout this year and this is a little bit of a concern of CJ Stroud's even coming into the draft we saw in plenty of games in college that when he has bad games things can spiral and I don't think things spiraled as bad as they could have in this one because like you mentioned he only threw zero picks probably could have had four or three at least very easily this could have looked a lot, lot worse. And there are other games we've seen this year where CJ Stroud has spiraled within the game. Once things are going bad, once he's playing bad, things can just sink for him. And I'm I'm hoping things change there for him. I'm I'm very intrigued to see how things play out there moving forward. Uh, But moving on to another young quarterback who had a little bit of a bad game this week. And I feel like has been seen in this category quite a few times this season. And that's Baker Mayfield with the Bucks. And I'll get into his kind of final drive in a second because I was very particularly impressed by that. But the reason he falls here in the bad is just throughout this game, the biggest thing for me that just completely stood out watching this game was the lack of accuracy. Uh, Baker Mayfield's not the kind of guy you would normally associate with being inaccurate. But in this game, kind of throughout the day, uh, I'm not really sure what happened to him. And maybe it was Atlanta's defense, which has stepped up lately, played a lot better than we've seen or kind of expect Atlanta de- Atlanta's defense too. 
but he looked very inaccurate in this one. And it was in a game where I thought Mike Evans and specifically Chris Godwin, to be exact, was winning a lot of his matchups. I, I thought Baker Mayfield had a lot of guys open throughout this game and he was just missing. He started to get less and less aggressive as the game went out on until that very end. We see, saw a lot of check downs earlier in this game. Uh, Chase Edmonds, Rashad White, Kate Otten were very involved for him, particularly because he was getting rid of the ball so quickly. Uh, <clears throat> even Chris Godwin, I felt like aside from one explosive kind of play that we saw later in the game, which I'll get into in a second even he wasn't able to get involved and most importantly he didn't get Mike Evans involved and I know Mike Evans maybe had a tougher matchup in this week's game than in other games but I thought there were plenty of opportunities where he could have gotten the ball to Mike Evans and he just simply wasn't able to connect however I think the biggest thing for Baker Mayfield that I took away from this game and what I liked the most about it is him kind of being able to mentally stay in there and deliver that last drive after a very, very weak game. Because up till that last drive, if you take away that kind of short swing pass he makes to Rashad White, that Rashad White's able to make a bunch of guys miss and score a touchdown. If you take that away, it looks like a very, very bad game for Baker Mayfield. And coming into that drive, not a good draw, not a good game whatsoever. And he's able to put that completely to the side and deliver a huge drive for them. Two very big passes to end the end that game. That 32-yard pass to Chris Godwin that I mentioned was beautiful. Corner out with the DB draped all over him, and Baker just layers it right over the top, drops it in to where Chris Godwin can even keep going and turns up field, gets out of bounds, gets even more yards because of how good that uh, pass was. And I think his best pass of the day came on that pass to end the game, uh, kind of a fade route to the back corner of the end zone of Kate Otten. Obviously a guy layered beneath them, and Baker is able to just drop it in right in the bucket, put it exactly at that back, back pylon like he's supposed to. Kate Otten grabs it, touchdown. And like I said, in a very bad game, a lot of quarterbacks wouldn't be able to kind of put that aside, make one good drive happen, obviously win them this game. He got carried by the defense throughout the rest of the game to <clears throat> help him even be in that position. It gave him touchdowns, like that first, first touchdown they scored because of turnovers. But when it mattered, Baker did deliver. However, still a very overall bad game. All right, moving on from one NFC South quarterback to another. Um, I'm kind of leaning on Bryce Young as a crutch every week for bad games um but yeah the, the 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 player i like the player too much before the draft um to not see it through with his career uh this one was awful to watch um and it's just because the panthers did what i've been suggesting for a long time um which is no matter what just attempt to push the ball down the field because if it hits that is a very very efficient play um and you're not really generating efficiency anyway but this week, um, the combination of DJ Chark and Jonathan Mingo um, and Bryce Young missing a few passes where his receivers actually won just made this offense really, really difficult to watch. So I'll, I'll just get it started. The first drive, um, Bryce throws deep to Jonathan Mingo. He gets like half a step, but doesn't end up uh, getting a completion. Um, the next pass uh, for Bryce Young can't get it to Stephon Sullivan. It looks like there could have been pass interference on this one. Um, but an incompletion nonetheless. 
The next drive, oh boy. So Young hits DJ Chark on a nice pass for 18 yards. But then uh, the next play, uh, a sack fumble that ends up in a turnover. And this is one of the craziest plays I've seen all year. So Young uh, pressured really quickly off play action, avoids the first Saints defender, but then as he's trying to stand up and make a play, um, gets hit by three more Saints defenders, ends up fumbling, and um, that's his only turnover of the play of the game. Incredible play that summarizes the Panthers' offense this whole year where Bryce Young exacerbates a problem that was created by horrific supporting cast. Uh, the next drive, Young tries to push it deep down the field to Adam Thielen, but can't end up getting a completion. The next drive, they finally end up uh, getting something to go, um, and it's because of a Bryce Young play where he's able to scramble for a 21-yard gain. Um, the next drive, um, Young ends up uh, having a pass uh, incomplete for Jonathan Mingo, but then um, the punt is blocked for a touchdown, so that immediately puts the Panthers um, in a really tough situation. Uh, the next drive, turnover on downs. Young scrambles for a first down, but then uh, after a string of runs, he can't hook up um, with Adam the or can't hook up with Tommy Tremble to get a pass or a defensive offsides, um, and Young uh, hits Adam Thielen for a four yard gain. Then he hits Chubut Hubbard on third and eight for a six yard gain, um, and on fourth and two, in Saints territory, he pushes it deep down the field for DJ Chark. This is one of those plays that I was talking about with Chark letting the offense down. Uh, pushes it deep down the field for DJ Chark on a play that. It's a little bit of a tough catch, but on fourth and two, um, a tough back shoulder throw, I think he could have ended up catching that. Doesn't end up making the play. Um, and on the next drive, there's nothing really – or actually, there is something I should mention. So on second and 10 from the Saints 45, um, Young has a chance to hit Jonathan Mingo deep, deep down the field, um, but can't end up hooking up with him. Young or Mingo actually does get uh, three, four yards of separation on a post pattern, but Young overthrows him by about five yards, so. Tough play there. Uh, the next drive, Young has one of his few completions for a big chunk. Um, after scrambling for an eight-yard gain, he hits Adam Thielen for a 19-yard gain um, before hitting uh, Raheem Blackshear for a four-yard gain um, and getting sacked for uh, a nine-yard loss on second and two from the Saints' two-yard line uh, and then throws it away on third and 11 where they end up uh, getting a field goal. Um, the next drive, um, Young again hit, has a big chunk to Adam Thielen, his one very good throw of the day. Um, puts the Panthers in the red zone, um, but Young takes a sack on third and eight from the St. 17, which puts them in a tough position, um, and they end up missing the field goal. Um, the next drive, another turnover on downs where Young pushes the ball down the field, um, or attempts to, um, but doesn't end up happening. Um, on fourth and one, he throws to Blackshear, um, and he just falls down on the route. Would have ended up being a completion, but ends up slipping on the turf. It's fourth and or it's a uh, fourth down incompletion, and ends up being a turnover. The next drive, another turnover on downs, but this one is just Bryce just chucking it. Um, not really much to take away from this one. Um, the next drive. Uh, another turnover on Dallas, but again, this is garbage time. Young finding short completions here and there to just help the stats a little bit. Um, so a really, really tough day for Young where he missed one really easy deep pass, missed a couple of deep passes where the receiver had one step 
um, and had a few passes where um, there were pass interference on a deep shot and the receivers didn't get open or separate and DJ Chark just made a mess of it. Um, yeah, Panthers offense is not good to watch. I would not recommend watching it if you're not. Actually, even if you are a Panthers fan, just don't watch. Just don't watch. I, this is this is this is tough stuff. Yeah, it's not worth the pain and suffering of watching this offense as a Panthers fan. You don't even have your pick this year to root for. So, yeah, the, it's a rough situation. But one of one of the things I really agreed with you here, PD, is I do kind of like the way they've decided to switch it up and let Bryce Young cook almost. I like the fact that he's getting 36 high uh, pass attempts, high volume pass attempts games. And in those, they are trying to attack. They're trying to go downfield more so. Still not as much as I would have liked, obviously, but I think it is good that they are realizing that there isn't much point in trying to have slow, consistent offense, be efficient in what they think is efficient, which I, I guess if throwing 50 screens a game is good efficiency, then so be it. But I, I, I don't like the way they're playing, and I like that they're switching to allowing Bryce Young make mistakes, learn from what he's doing, because if he's not making those throws, if he's not trying to push the ball downfield, how is he going to learn how to beat those coverages, how to make – tie window throws, stuff like that. There's no winning. There's no really point in the, the, trying to win to the point where you're just not letting Bryce do what he needs to do. Because at this point, if the season's lost, there's no, there's no real meaning to any of the games they have. The only thing they should be focused on right now is developing Bryce Young. And this entire offense should be mirrored around that. And I, I, I do hope they continue to move forward and do that. Uh, and moving on from one number one overall pick to another number one overall pick who had a very, very struggle of a game, uh, a big struggle of a game this week, and that's Trevor Lawrence. A uh, very surprising game from him because, one, he was barely even supposed to play. Obviously, the ankle injury coming into it looked very bad in that previous game, and he was out pretty much the whole week. It was up in the air whether he'd play. Most people expecting him to not, and he's able to come in and play a game. And I thought if he did play bad in this one, it would have to do with that ankle. And maybe it did end up being because of that ankle, but the reason this game was bad was because of very, very poor decisions. In fact, uncharacteristically poor decisions from Trevor Lawrence. That just confused me. Uh, I'll jump right into it with the three picks he threw. It was kind of ridiculous seeing the three picks he's, he threw because it was completely off target. The first one, you see him trying to pass the ball deep. I forget who it was intended for, but... He's passing it deep over the middle of the field and misses his receiver by like 10 yards. It's almost like an arm punt where he just throws the ball up and it goes straight to the DB. And it wasn't even necessarily on a play where they should be arm putting. It was on a first down uh, and he's trying to throw the ball deep. I, I think it may have been for Zay, Zay Jones and it was the easiest interception of Emerson's life. And moving on to that second interception, uh, at first I honestly thought, watching it live like maybe Ridley makes a mistake maybe he drops it but no he has Ridley I'd say a little bit open on an in-breaking route and he just completely misses behind him by like 
five to seven yards, throws it once again right to Emerson for another pick. It was almost ridiculous to see. And the third pick might have been the worst one. You see him, or maybe not the worst one, but you see him getting pressured, hit as he throws, and he has Ridley going up the right side of the sideline. And I think he just wants to throw up what should have been a 50-50 ball, but he completely overthrows it. It's more like a 95-5 ball going right to Greg Newsom. Ridley doesn't really have a chance at the ball. And even if you think he did, he didn't win his rep whatsoever. It wasn't really a good read. And it's a third and one at your own 15, down seven. You'd probably rather just go after the yard, make something happen there. Very, very questionable decision from her, uh, from Lawrence. And it doesn't even stop at just the interceptions. He has two more, more turnover-worthy plays the, the rest of this game. He honestly got a little bit lucky with how many picks he threw. I also think he was very close to having a fumble on one of the sacks he took. And the sacks, I do want to give him a little bit of slack because obviously he did have that ankle. And even despite being on that ankle, we did see him kind of run around, make a couple of plays. He was very much, very gritty to be even be able to play uh, in this game uh, with that situation. So I, I will give him a little bit of leeway on those sacks. However, at face value, the, a lot of those sacks were pretty bad too. Uh, he was under a lot of duress, a lot of pressure in this game. But I think he held the ball too long a couple of times. With that being said, though, there was some positives in this game. Him and Ingram had a huge connection in this one. Uh, there was one pass on the left side of the sideline that I remember where uh, <clears throat> Ingram's able to moss his defender. And the reason is because Lawrence is just able to drop that in, high point the pass in the position where only Ingram can catch it. And earlier in the game, even where we had an Evan Ingram touchdown pass, uh, there was a DB covering it, and Lawrence was able to kind of just layer it above the linebacker's hands and drop it into Evan Ingram in the corner. So a couple of positive plays here and there for sure. However, way, way, way too many mistakes and very uncharacter mistakes from Trevor Lawrence in this game. And it honestly confused me because that's not how I expected him to play poorly in this game. I thought it would have to do with the injury, if anything. Yeah, some very disastrous decisions for, from Lawrence in this game and uh, definitely seemed to be affected in terms of stepping into throws. But um, yeah, I mean, some some of those throws are just like, what what are you even looking at, right? So yep. yeah, some more of a decision-making issue than an injury issue. All right. Moving on to uh, a third straight number one overall pick that we're discussing here, and that's Jared Goff. Oh, man, Jared Goff was rough in this one. Um, starts off on the first drive. Um, they can't really get anything going. Um, Goff with a few sh short passes that end up picking up chunks of yardage for 13, 4, and 11 yards, uh, but then takes a sack on third and 10, um, and they end up punting. Uh, the next drive ends up with an interception, but this one, fourth and 10, it is an interception that's on him. Um, but I think that you kind of have to do something on fourth and 10. So not really the biggest play, but we will get to some, some more egregious plays from Goff. Um, next drive, um, Amon Ross St. Brown for a five yard gain off a of Jared Goff pass before hitting, uh, Donovan Peoples Jones for a 17 yard gain on a fourth and three, um, uh, big play there. Um, he's able to complete a short pass for Amon Ross St. Brown for a five yard gain, but then Jameer Gibbs takes it for the 12 yard touchdown. Um, 
the next drive uh, for the Lions, they again score. Um, Goff hits Sam Laporta uh, after hitting Brock Wright um, for four and 10-yard gains. Um, and then the Lions kind of ride the run game all the way into the red zone. Goff hits Jameer Gibbs for a six-yard gain and then Khalif Raymond for a five-yard gain. Um, and then Josh Reynolds for an eight-yard touchdown pass. Um, and at this point, the Lions are leading going into the half. Uh, but then it starts to unravel. The Lions have three straight punt drives, which I'll go over right now. So first, um, they run the ball um, with David Montgomery before Goff can't hook up with Jameson Williams deep down the field. Um, and then the next drive, um, Goff can't hook up with uh, Josh Reynolds and Amon Ross St. Brown drops one on second and 15. Um, and then he has a short pass to Jameer Gibbs for a 12-yard gain on third and 15 before they end up punting. Uh, the next drive, they also can't get anything going. Um, Goff can't hit, hook up with uh, Sam Laporta on third and 11, end up punting. The next drive, a fumble. This time, Jared Goff ends up dropping the snap. Critical pass or critical play there because it ends up giving the uh, Bears position inside uh, the Lions 30. The next drive, uh, turnover on downs, this first of uh, a couple. So they end up um, throwing a few short passes um, to Brock Wright, Jameer Gibbs, and then Josh Reynolds. Um, and then on a fourth and one, instead of just sneaking it, um, Jameer Gibbs takes the ball for a four-yard loss, which ends up in a turnover on downs. Um, and then for the final two drives of the game, uh, turnover on downs and then interception. Goff, it's David Montgomery for a short pass before not being able to hook up with Sam Laporta. Um, and then another drop by Amaral St. Brown. Um, and then he hooks up with David Montgomery for a 10-yard gain on third and 10 on a short pass. Um, and then Khalif Raymond for a five-yard gain. And then he takes, or and then he can't hook up with Amaral St. Brown again. Um, and then takes a sack um, on third and 10 before not being able to hook up with Amaral St. Brown on uh, fourth and 17. So that is the end of that drive with a turnover on downs. And then he finally throws um, another interception for a good measure. Um, on that final drive, just kind of, it's, it's a little bit of garbage time. Um, he hits Josh Reynolds for a 27-yard gain before getting sacked for a 10-yard loss. That one was was more on him, in my opinion. Um, then he can't hook up with Sam Laporta uh, on second and 20 and then gets sacked for another nine-yard loss. Um, and then he can't hook up with Amon Ross St. Brown ends up with an interception So uh, on fourth and 24. So both the interceptions were on fourth down, so less of an issue for me that they end up as turnovers, but... Um, the sacks on Goff and the fumble was a bad play that didn't end up um, showing up in the basic box score. So um, that combined with a severe lack of explosive plays from Goff, um, yeah, not not impressed with how he played at all in this game. Yeah, very, very bad game from Goff for sure. And it's kind of interesting to see given the way he started off the season where we were talking about Goff in a completely different light. And I think that heater he was on, which we weren't sure if he was just a completely new guy or if he was just on a bit of a hot streak. I think that hot streak has finally ended and we're starting to see the cracks in Jared Goff's game. I think we're starting to see defense kind of defenses figure out how to stop him. And I think the key to stopping this offense has always been limiting Amon Ross and Brown. And that's obviously easy, easier said than done. But somehow, some way, teams have been able to kind of 
take away that middle of the field game to a certain extent that the Lions have used with Amon Ross and Brown so consistently throughout the season to be able to give Jared Goff easy completions over the middle of the field. That way he doesn't have to necessarily dive into the aspects of his game where he's weaker, which is plays that aren't just off the play action or over the middle of the field, maybe more difficult throws. Once teams are forcing him to do that, we are starting to see performances like this where he's not necessarily as good. And this came in a game where I thought the run game played well. Obviously, they were pretty limited because of the game script. The Bears went up early and the uh, the Lions were forced to throw. And when you force the ball into Jared Goff's hands, uh, we're starting to see results like this. And I am intrigued to see how the Lions continue playing off of this because they are in a little bit of a dry streak right now. And this is a team I think can still be very, very good offensively. Uh, but moving on to another NFC quarterback who also had a very, very rough performance. And for him, this is coming off of a lot of games of very, very consistent play and multiple weeks where people had completely switched the narrative on Jordan Love. And he went from a guy who at the start of the season, the general consensus of NFL fans was that he was a failed project quarterback to now people were crowning him one of the better franchise quarterbacks in his draft class, which features guys like Jalen Hurts, Justin Herberts, Tua, etc. Joe Burrow, obviously. And people were putting him with those likes, and this game was a little bit of a step back in, uh, in the wrong direction. We know with Jordan Love, he'll have those high-end games, and unfortunately, this was a low-end game. And it starts off from the very beginning of this one. We see back-to-back drives where he's just they go three and out primarily because of him. The first drive on a third and three, he has Wicks wide open on an out route for what should have been a completion for a first down, and he just completely airs it and throws it high out of bounds. Uh, and on the very next play, or our very next drive, I should say, uh, on a third and five, he has A.J. Dillon open for a check down, which should have got them the first. But instead of hitting it, he runs around in the pocket when he doesn't really need to repositions himself way behind the line of scrimmage and makes that pass harder for himself. And he still misses A.J. Dillon high and it bounces off uh, A.J. Dillon above A.J. Dillon's heads. Uh, off his hands and that's another wasted drive there once again and we see a touchdown the following drive and you may think oh maybe Jordan Love's getting going but no it wasn't really Jordan Love in fact they really should have almost given up the ball there but Deontay Wicks makes a crazy play to reach the ball over the fourth and one uh, line to get a first there but it's really just A.J. Dillon who takes a check down downfield for a whole bunch of yards that is able to set them up in position for Jaden Reed to run in a touchdown. Not much that Jordan Love does here. And we see him turn the ball over the very next play. It's a third and two. They run read option. Jordan Love decides to keep it, try to run for a first. And uh, I'm not really sure what he should have done in this situation because he is running straight into Pinnock and Kayvon Thibodeau there. Not really something you want to see out of your franchise guy, but at the very least, I would have loved him to just go down and not lose the ball. There he tries to make something happen and in the process loses the ball. Give back to the Giants. Huge turnover-worthy play in a tie game. 
And we see him do the very same thing with the interception, the ensuing drive, where he's trying to target Wicks deep. And I think he just does simply doesn't see him see the safety. I think he just doesn't see Pinnock. But he loops the ball, and Pinnock's just able to undercut it very, very easily. And at this point, I think that was probably the worst Jordan Love was in this game. Things do pick up from here. He starts playing better. That uh, final drive uh, of the half to bring them a field goal, he does make a couple of good plays there. Gets a little bit bailed out by that pass interference on Jaden Reed. But in general, the rest of the game, we see him make a lot less game-changing level mistakes. No interception-worthy plays, no fumbles. However, the lack of accuracy that we saw early in this game still stays. We see even in the second half when they're down one, he misses another pass to Jaden Reed on a third and 10, uh, which could have uh, at the 14-yard line, which could have ended up getting them a touchdown. They have to settle for a field goal there too. And kind of the rest of the game, we see that. And I think a lot of those mistakes early in the game, a lot of the inaccuracies the rest of the game is the reason the Giants were able to come back and win this game. And quite frankly, a very weak offensive game from them. Uh, They weren't particularly efficient running the ball, passing the ball. I think the whole aura of Tommy DeVito has masked the fact that this is a very, very weak Giants passing offense, and they weren't really doing particularly much throughout this game. And I think Jordan Love's mistakes ended up costing the Packers here. All right, so let's talk about previews for Week 15. Um, And I'll start it off with an important game that I'm – keeping tabs on um, because quarterback might be playing for his job, and that's Justin Fields. Um, Going into Cleveland, going up against a stacked Browns defense, they've dealt with a couple of injuries in the past week, but I still think they should have some success against the Bears' offense. Um, What do you think about that? Do you think that Justin Fields has a chance to play well in this game? Um, And what are your expectations about what the narratives will be around him after this game? Surprisingly enough, I think he uh, does play decently well. And I think one thing that's going under the radar this past couple of games is Justin Fields has come back and maybe he's not the same Justin or maybe he's not playing well. We saw in the Vikings game, he made a whole lot of mistakes. But in terms of passing the ball, I do think Justin Fields has kind of gotten back at least to that level we saw last year, which still we would have liked him to progress from there but earlier in the season we saw a bit of a regression to a really really bad version of Justin Fields and I think he's kind of back to where he is and to the point of where I think he can be a capable quarterback and I think a lot of those injuries to the Browns defense is going to end up hurting them to the point where I think they won't necessarily put up a dominant showing. I think losing Denzel Ward potentially being out right now is questionable. I think he will end up being out in this one. I think if DJ Moore plays, I think that's going to be huge in them not being able to necessarily uh, cover uh, cover as well, be as good lockdown in coverage as Cleveland has been all, all year. And I think them missing two potential starting linebackers in this one is going to be huge in them limiting the rushing impact of Fields. Uh, because he hasn't done it in a while, we're forgetting that Justin Fields is one of the fastest quarterbacks in the league. And I think in a team with a, a weak linebacker core in this one, I think he could torch the Browns defense with his legs. I think them also missing uh, a Conqueror uh, in, the, in the pass rushing game is going to 
help Justin Fields a little bit more. I don't expect a huge scoring game like he had against the Lions last week. <clears throat> but I do expect him to play a lot better than other quarterbacks have against this Browns defense. And most quarterbacks have gotten somewhat locked up by this Browns defense. They've been very dominant in this one. I don't think they put up a dominant showing. I think Justin Fields has a solid performance to maybe uh, keep his job a little bit longer. And I don't think this will be the defining game that decides whether he's going to be sticking around. Uh, but I do think it'll be a, a step in the right direction for him. Uh, but moving on from that to one of the more, I'd say, highly anticipated matchups of the week. And that's going to be uh, the Cowboys and Bills. And, <clears throat> and my question to you is, obviously, we've seen completely different versions of Josh Allen this year, depending on the games. <clears throat> How do you feel Josh Allen's going to play against this Cowboys defense, which I think does match up well with them having a strong pass rush and very good corners that are ball hawking and will capitalize on his mistakes. So I think that it just kind of depends um, which version of Josh Allen shows up, like you said. Um, but if I had to predict, I think that him just kind of, um, I think the Bills offense is well equipped to take advantage of corners that can bite on double moves and such. So if they kind of lean into that with Deron Bland, who I think is a very aggressive corner, um, I think they could have success on a couple of plays. Um, the real thing with Allen to me is, is he going to be able to generate those big plays on scrambles? Um, and I think there's real potential here because, um, well, the Cowboys linebackers have been playing well. I think that there's still a little bit meat on the bone that they're doing. So, um, yeah, I think there's potential here for explosive plays. Um and yeah, I'm just really excited to watch this matchup in general. Um, as we'll see for my next question, which was about that same matchup, um, but it was on the other side. So Dak Prescott has been on an insane heater since the bye week especially, but even extending to um, the Chargers game in week six, he has just been lights out. Do we think that continues against a Bills defense that has been dealing with a lot of injuries recently, but has stepped it up in certain games? And um, yeah, how do we think that Dak holds up in this game? Uh, I think, to be quite frank, that Dak is at a point right now where it doesn't matter who he's facing, unless you maybe put him against a Niners defense, maybe the Jets, maybe the Browns. Some of the guys who we've seen are like hyper elite defenses and are shutting down every quarterback they face. I think, and even the Niners defense doesn't necessarily fall into that category. So it's really a select few defenses, and I don't think the Bills fall into that category. I think Dak absolutely continues on that heater, and I think the injuries to the Bills secondary, specifically guys like Micah Hyde, I think Jordan Poyer might be dealing with something, might be out this week. I think that's going to be huge for them. I think they already struggle kind of matching up with CeeDee Lamb, obviously, the Tredavious White isn't even there right now and they're already kind of hanging on threads in, in their secondary and when you're coming in with the Brandon Cooks who he is banged up coming into the week but he's been really hot as of late you have CeeDee Lamb obviously on absolute tear Dak Prescott playing the best football of his life 
I don't see much of a way that this Bills defense can slow them down. Uh, on, and I think the only way it does happen is if the weather plays a huge, huge role. I think the biggest kind of question mark in this game is how the weather in Buffalo is going to affect the way the Cowboys play. And I don't think that's a big takeaway for the Cowboys moving forward. Obviously, you're not going to be playing in cold weather every single week. But in this game specifically, it could massively change things. And if the deep playability of the Cowboys is limited due to the weather and the pass rush of this Bills team takes over, which even that I don't necessarily think is going to be as lethal of a pass rush because they have uh, AJ Espinosa out. Uh, but if Von Miller can maybe take over and the weather messes things up, maybe the Cowboys offense plays poorly. But if I had to bet money on it, I would bet on the Cowboys offense continuous continue to roll. Uh, and moving on from one highly anticipated matchup to I'd say another one of the highly anticipated matchups of the week and something with a lot of shootout potential, and that's Ravens-Jaguars. And I think both quarterbacks here have been coming off of a couple of rough weeks, maybe not playing their best football as we've seen earlier in the year. How do you think this game goes? Do you think this game is going to be a shootout with Lawrence and Lamar having hyper offensive games? Or do you think one of the defensive sides is able to slow the other down? I think that uh, calling this game with shootout potential is kind of a risk to me, just based on how much I trust the coaching staff of the Ravens on defense and their personnel, to be quite frank. Um, the Jags defense, though, I can understand having some hesitance with them. They're very boomer bust. Uh, Tyson Campbell having a very, very up and down season. Um, and the Jags pass rush is Josh Allen or nothing. So, yeah, it's 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 very high variance defense. Um, and the Ravens defense is really consistent. Um, so I, I would have concern calling it a shootout. If I had to pick, I would say the Ravens do a, a good job of getting the best of the Jags defense. Um, and with Trevor Lawrence still uh, struggling with that injury, potentially not being able to generate the same level of accuracy without a strong base under him, I think that there is the potential for the Ravens defense to have a good game in this one. Um, also, I, I want you to I'll, – I'll let you finish up with your third question right now because I want to use my last question to transition into a topic that I wanted to talk about. Got it. And real quick before, I also want to say that that game, I think, has blowout potential because of exactly what you're talking about. I think the difference defensively between these two teams is huge. And even offensively, Lawrence's weapons have not been playing well as of late. He's dealing with that injury. So I could see that happen. But these are two high-powered offenses as well, so I could see it go either ways. Uh, but I'll move on to what I think is a very big matchup here and could be very telling about how these two teams will play the rest of the way this season. And we'll probably get this answer by the time this podcast comes out because it's tonight's game of Lions-Broncos. And I want to ask you, how do you think this Broncos defense is going to try to stop Jared Goff, who has obviously been struggling as of late, as we just talked about, not had the best stretch of his season. And this Broncos defense has absolutely been on a tear uh, ever since Justin Simmons has come back. So how do you expect this uh, Broncos defense to game plan against a very high-powered Lions offense? And how do you think they actually perform against that team? Yeah, so the Lions theoretically are a high-powered team, like you said, but um, I think that blitzing and trying to bring as much pressure as possible would be the way to 
bother them. Jared Goff, notoriously, um, for the eight-year career that he's had, has struggled under pressure. So I think that doing anything to really damage his uh, platform, um, his throwing platform, and, and force him off of it um, would be the way to go. And, um, yeah, I think that um, trying to heat him up as much as possible would be a way that the Broncos could have some success. All right, so let's transition to that last question that I was talking about and then a little bit of talking um, for our final point of the day or, or like the, the notes section um, since I don't have any, anybody on the charting cut list this week. Um, and that question was, how do you think or how well do you think Brock Purdy will cut up um, the Cardinals defense? Um, and obviously there's not like a clear answer to this question uh, mm-hmm. because obviously the Niners are going to, uh, run rough shot on, on the Cardinals, but uh, I just want to use that as a, as a talking point and stem off of it. Okay, well, I to be quite frank, it's not going to look pretty for this Cardinals defense. I think this game reminds me a lot of the Cardinals-Niners matchup last year uh, where it was at a point in the season where the Cardinals were kind of deflated. Their season was over, and I don't think they particularly had any interest, and this Niners team was obviously on a roll at that point. It's on even more so of a roll right now, winning big, big games, and they're coming into this game with the offense completely healthy too. Christian McCaffrey, Debo Samuel, Ayu, Kittle, all not only – going to play, but 100%, no question marks really coming into this game. The side of the ball, as a Niners fan, I'm more concerned about is actually the defense because we are coming in with a lot of injuries defensively. Kyler Murray does has had a lot of good games in the past against this team and has the number of this defense a little bit, but offensively, yeah, if you how bad is Purdy going to cut up this team? Really, really, really damn bad. Teams that are able to kind of get in Purdy's head, have good pass rushes, have stingy DBs to a certain extent, and have guys that can play make. And I don't think the Cardinals defense is a single one of those. So they're getting cooked. All right. So let me use that to transition to a topic that's been on my mind this entire week. Um, And that's the topic of using the phrase game manager as pejorative um and it kind of stems from the that cam newton clip that's been circulating um now it has 20 million views on on twitter it's a clip from his podcast where he essentially is talking about how um game the 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 idea of a game manager versus a quote-unquote game changer um these type of terms are really stupid to me i really i really despise um trying to archetypically decide what quarterback is good or not Um, but he says something in that clip, um, which was really, it really struck a nerve with me. Um, and he says that, um, those teams who have quote unquote game managers, um, like a Brock Purdy, like a Jared Goff, like a Dak Prescott, these were guys that he referenced, um, would still be successful without them. The other thing that he says, um, in that video or yeah, in that video clip, um, is that. Uh, executives aren't going into the draft trying to find another Dak Prescott, Brock Purdy, uh, a Jared Goff, or a Tua. Um, so those two uh, sections, it, it kind of um, struck a nerve with me because, well, it wasn't very long ago. You only have to go about 13 years ago where Cam Newton was tearing up college football. Um, and his stock and his the discussion around him for his detractors were be, was being diminished because he was a quote-unquote gunslinger. He was 
a guy who made plays out of structure. He was a guy who didn't necessarily strict or strictly follow the rules of the offense. He wasn't a quote-unquote pocket passer. Um, these types of archetypical diminishments have affected guys like Cam Newton. Um, and now it's frustrating to me when um, people take what Cam Newton said there and uh, turn around to diminish guys who are on like the opposite end of the spectrum, like a Dak Prescott, like a Tua. Um, the thing that um, really bothered me, though, when he said um, the teams without the game managers can more easily survive without them. And there's a ton of evidence against that. Um, if we look at the 2019 Saints, right, Drew Brees goes down. Um, and I, I remember during that time, the Saints going on a long undefeated streak. I think it was 6-0. and um, And people were using that to say, oh, Drew Brees is quote-unquote game manager. I remember um, specifically um, to use a name, Chris Sims saying something like that. But really looking at what's happening, um, including the game that Brees got injured where he threw five passes and the rest of the games where Teddy Bridgewater um, and such started, uh, the Saints' offense dropped in 10 points per game in how much they were scoring, which is a pretty significant margin. I'm not even going to uh, attempt to bring in context of the defenses that they were playing, but they were playing some pretty weak defenses as well. Um, we saw what happened with the 2022 Dolphins last year when they had Skylar Thompson uh, come out and play with, with Tua injured and how Tua played as well when he was playing with injuries. Um, that's another evidence point of what happens when these guys aren't fully there. Um, we can look at the 2011 Colts, um, where he referenced Peyton Manning as a game manager, which is really funny to me. Um, the 2011 Colts were so bad without Peyton Manning that they ended up having to draft another generational prospect in Andrew Luck to, to replace him. Um, the Patriots post Tom Brady. After Tom Brady left in 2019, he referenced Tom Brady as a game manager. Uh, I don't even have to discuss the Patriots. The Patriots are just a joke of a franchise since Brady left. Um, and the last example I wanted to bring up was the Cowboys in 2020, where he referenced uh, Dak Prescott as a game manager. When Dak Prescott went down and a guy who people would consider um, a strong backup in Cooper Rush based on how he played in 2022. Um, uh, in 2020, when, when Dak went down, the Cowboys just absolutely fell apart to the point where they were picking near the top 10. Um, so there's a lot of evidence here that states that a, court, a team without its starting quarterback, regardless of archetype, will tend to struggle. Um, there is no team that can easily replace a quarterback on a high-end offense. And especially um, the example with Brock Purdy, um, the reason that it's sticking out to me is that there was a rage to use the late-round success of Brock Purdy in this past draft. Um, to see what late round pick could be the next Brock Purdy. So clearly there are teams looking for guys like uh, Brock Purdy. Um, another draft example that I wanted to bring up was Bryce Young and CJ Stroud. Um, Bryce Young most commonly compared to Tua and the guys and guys like Drew Brees, um, guys who were um, smaller in stature but played from the pocket and played with extreme anticipation and accuracy. A guy like CJ Stroud who went second overall and has been very, very good in his rookie year commonly compared to guys like Matt Ryan or Jared Goff uh, or Dak Prescott. Um, just that, this idea that uh, a pocket, a traditional pocket passer is not sought after to me is, is really frustrating. Um, and just, just clear, completely lacking in evidence and nuance type of take. And I, and yeah, it, it definitely does bother me. Yeah. I, I also really, really like that you brought this up because, this really confused me for Cam Newton 
especially because of what you said about his college career and coming into the league. At the time, Cam Newton kind of took the NCAA by storm with Auburn and was coming into the league. We had a very predominantly pocket-passing league. Most of the quarterbacks NFL teams wanted to take were – you know, your traditional tall, big arm, not necessarily too athletic quarterbacks would sit in the pocket and throw. And Cam Newton was bringing this like new, almost rogue style of offense to the league where he's just a physical specimen and he can run you over, be huge in the run game. And he also has that huge arm so he can still kill you with deep passes. And maybe you're not going to get like your easy five, six yard slant route with him consistently ever in his career. Even a prime Cam Newton necessarily couldn't do that because of how bad his fundamentals were. But he was just this physical beast that you could still make him an absolute weapon of offense. And because he was so good at doing what he did, he was able to carve out a great career for himself. One MVP had an insane season that year with the 15 and one Panthers. And that was all because people gave a new type of quarterback, this new archetype, quote unquote, a chance. And I think when making a take like this, he's simply being selfish and he's trying to pop himself up. And I feel like we see not only in the NFL, but in the NBA too, plenty of former players, retired players trying to prop themselves up and doing so by disrespecting the guys in the league now, disrespecting maybe people playing differently than them. Because if we really break down what he's saying, he's trying to say NFL teams should go after players like him instead of guys like Dak Prescott, Brock Purdy. Maybe even there's a little bit of jealousy there because guys like Dak Prescott, Brock Purdy, all of the people he mentioned have significantly better fundamentals, better footwork, better quick throw ability. And not to say that these guys are better than Cam Newton. Like a guy like Dak Prescott, me personally, I don't think he's going to have a better career than Cam Newton. And maybe, and I think that is a discussion to have. That's he, neither here nor there. But at the end of the day, he's still very, very capable. And what Cam is trying to do is he's trying to discredit those guys because of maybe the way they look, how when they play, maybe it looks a lot easier. But in general, I think he's just trying to give himself more credit, make what he did and the kind of style of play he had just seem more ideal. And when you really think about what he said, like you mentioned he had guys like Peyton Manning, Tom Brady in his quote-unquote game manager's list. And even if we go away from that and we talk about like some lesser people like Tua, Purdy, Dak, who are taking the league by storm right now, uh, playing in that way and if you think about him saying like oh teams aren't looking for guys like that then who are they looking for like if you're not looking for the next Tom Brady you're not looking for the next Peyton Manning who do you want at quarterback because I sure as hell don't want Cam Newton on my team as my quarterback over guys with the skills cat of a Tom Brady of a Peyton Manning those are hyper elite quarterbacks doing what they've done being I guess game managers I, I i don't really understand that take whatsoever i think at the end of the day cam newton wants it to be that 
he wants it to make it seem like NFL teams are going for those super athletic guys, guys who look like they should be top level quarterbacks because they have their tall, they're big, they have the big arm, they're athletic guys who quote unquote are traditionally athletes. But at the end of the day, it really shouldn't matter how they're playing, like play style wise. But what should matter is the actual production on the field. And with guys like Dak, Tua, Brock Purdy, they're producing at the highest level. They might go ahead and win MVP. So why wouldn't GMs want to go after and look for the next version of that? And one thing that you mentioned that I do think is a little bit unfair to him, I'd say, is examples like when Tua goes out and Skylar Thompson comes in or when Drew Brees was out those 10 games. I think that's a little unfair to bring up because when you see the drop off in play from a guy like Tua to a guy like Skylar Thompson, like obviously they're going to fall off. And I think when Cam Newton says other people can do that job, I don't think he's referring to guys like Skylar Thompson or in Drew Brees' case, like the drop off from him to like a Jameis Winston, Taysom Hill, whoever it was there. I think that drop off is too far to say. And I think his point here is, on offense like that Dolphins one, like if you take Tua out and put in another competent NFL quarterback and you're seeing that even with like a Jared Goff right now, like you are able to plug and play guys who looked average in other situations, put them in a really good situation and they look a lot better. And I do agree to a certain extent that maybe quarterbacks like that aren't as valuable as other guys who we see in bad situations who aren't playing as well because of that. The guy who pops up to my head right away and them, it is because I'm a Herbert fan, but that is a guy like Justin Herbert who has the tools but isn't able to necessarily show it because he's in a terrible situation. And if you put him in a Lions or a Dolphin situation, sure, maybe he would be better But at the end of the day, what Cam Newton's asking for here is hypotheticals. Like, as much of a Herbert fan I am, like, I can't prop him up purely because of the hypothetical if he does go to one of those teams. And we're seeing what Tua, Dak, Purdy, players like that can do in those systems. Maybe it's not as good as what the next guy would do. But that doesn't make what they're doing any worse. They're still playing at an incredible level. They're still making amazing plays. And they're still the reason those offenses are functioning. There are plenty of quarterbacks you would put in that situation that wouldn't do what they're doing. And I think it's unfair to just completely take away what they're doing because of their play style or their lack of physical tools or maybe their help whatever the reason may be, because there's various reasons they're trying to take credit away from it. Uh, Even if there's some merit to the argument in theory, I think Cam Newton went about arguing it the completely wrong way. And I think there's a conversation to be had. And I think the conversation being had right now is just stupid. Uh, I think that he didn't intend it for it to come off as disrespectful. He tried very best to um, keep... Um, those guys, like, at, at, or describe those guys as, as respectfully as possible. Um, the point that I wanted to make, though, is the, is the, uh, the one that, where he said, um, no GM is going and looking for the next Dak Prescott or two or Purdy. That's, that just feels pretty off to me when the number two overall pick in the past draft, who is playing a very successful rookie season, was compared frequently to Dak Prescott and Jared Goff. Anyway, yeah, and I want to 
clarify real quick. Like, yeah, I did a saw see the clip, obviously. And I don't think Cam Newton was had malicious intent. I don't think he's a bad person either. I just think the take was just a little bit like it's inherently disrespectful, even if he tries to phrase it nicely, he doesn't necessarily have like bad intentions with it. Obviously, it's still like there's a reason he said it, and I do think there was a little bit of disrespect there, even if it wasn't necessarily intended. And I don't think Cam Newton is necessarily a bad person for this happening. It just is what it is. All right, that will be all from us from this one. Make sure to like, leave a rating, do what you need to do on whatever platform that you're listening on. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at PD34 underscore and at RiverHoodPotty2. That will be all from me, and that will be all from Potty. We'll see you guys in the next one. Peace. Peace. Yeah, we could be superstars.